We thank you, Lord God, that, that you go before us, you're behind us, you're with us, you go before us, you know all that's going on in our lives, you know all that's going to be happening that we don't even know about yet. We thank you, Father God, that you make a way for us. You make our way straight before us. You show us that next right step to take in our lives, Father. Even when we're not really sure what all is going to come up after that, you show us what to do next. And we thank you for that, Lord. We, we praise you, Lord. We ask you to just minister to us. Let the Holy Spirit just open up our hearts that we receive from you this morning, not based on anything I might say, but Father God, just speak what you want to speak into people's hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, that's what I ask. We praise you for it. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. But good to see everybody today. We, um, last week, we started a brand new series in here uh, about David. And uh, we're taking some lessons in, in sort of raw, rugged spirituality, this authentic spirituality from a man who was, who was a, known as a fierce warrior. He was a passionate worshiper. And yes, at times he was a wretch of a sinner. Um, but what's most surprising of all is, to me, is this reckless, passionate, poet warrior that we know as David is someone about whom God said, this is a man after my own heart. So he's definitely not always perfect, but David, his is a, is a rugged, no frills spirituality. We, we talked a little bit about last week about how those things in David's life that, you know, we would think those things would work against him. You know, he's the youngest son, he's the least important. Apparently his family doesn't think much of him. Um, you know, he keeps the sheep. He lives in a podunk backwater village. All these circumstances, the stuff of his life, all these, uh, all these things were actually what creates the context of his life that God intentionally uses to turn David into the man that he wants him to. He doesn't use David in spite of these things. He actually uses these things as the context of his life. And what we see about David, the more you, you study him and you look at his life, he isn't God isn't relegated to just a certain... Uh, isolated portion of his life, as he often is for, for many people today. We, we live very segmented lives, you know what I mean? And our spirituality is no different. We have like a place for, for our spirituality. You know, for many people, it's, it's the Sunday morning chapter, right? It's Sunday morning, that's where my spirituality goes, and it better not rear its head the rest of the week. Um, but in David, we see God is present in every moment of his life, everything going on. In, in every victory he experiences, um, every heartache he goes through, he's present in those dark, lonely caves that he hides in. God's present in the palace. He's present in the sheep pen. And he's present even in the, the foxholes of the battle. And let me tell you, David found himself in some foxholes. Amen? Now, I've never had the privilege of, of being in the military, but... As any veteran of battle uh, will probably tell you, it's in that foxhole with the bullets whistling overhead and people screaming in confusion all around you. It's there that you often find the real measure of a man, those kind of situations. You find out what a guy's really made of. You may have heard the phrase foxhole religion or, or, or the, uh, the old adage, it's hard to find an atheist in a foxhole. Uh, because the idea is that even the most jaded, self-confident, tough guy on earth, when he is in that pressure cooker of a foxhole, he's going to find himself praying and making deals with a God that he may not have even have believed in six weeks ago, right? But suddenly, that it all becomes very real, and you get very focused. Anybody, anybody can relate to that. 
you may not have been in a, a literal foxhole, but we get hit with stuff in life, right? We get hit with stuff, a bad doctor's report, we, get, we lose our job, our kids go crazy, whatever it is, you know. And suddenly, we, you know, we may not really give God that much thought, but suddenly these things happen, and we become like the world's most committed prayer warriors, right? Overnight. It's amazing how that happens. And we'll try to make deals with God and we'll promise him things we know good and well we're not going to deliver on, but we promise them, you know, because suddenly the pressure is on and we need his help. Now, pressure is kind of a funny thing. It it treats people differently. Um, How many of you this morning would raise your hand and say, you're one of those type A personalities. You actually kind of thrive on some pressure. Some back there. Yeah, right there. Over here, all right, there we go. Type A's, man, the pressure. It's like when things get heated up, the deadline approaches, you're like, bring it on, I'm alive, right? Those things. Um, I have to admit, I'm a little bit like that in some areas. Pressures, deadlines, challenges, that's when I find I, myself, I'm at my most creative. I, I get my most creative, I, I, you know, I'm more excited to get up in the morning than any other time. Um, there's something about the challenge of a situation, even if it's like just some kind of ridiculous, impossible odds situation. I dig that kind of challenge. Uh, it, it's, it's actually when I'm not under any kind of challenge or deadline or anything like that, I kind of find myself turning into sort of a human slug, you know, with no motivation. Are you that way? Yeah. So geologists, you didn't know you were going to school today, geologists tell us that there's two ways that rocks respond to pressure and heat. There's a certain type of rock that when you put it in a, in a very particular situation, you put it in this situation under incredible high pressures, incredible extreme heat, they respond in the most miraculous and wonderful way, right? They become something beautiful. They become a diamond. They turn into diamonds, which we all learned as kids that Superman can do, right? When he took the lump of coal and he mashed it for Lois and handed her the diamond. And if you were like me, you ran out in the backyard and were like squeezing a bunch of dirt as high as you can, you know, trying, to, trying to make a diamond for my mom. I made her lots of dirt because um, it's hard. It doesn't happen easily. Uh, it's hard to do because it's actually a rare reaction to heat and pressure. Rock rarely turns into that, which makes them expensive. What most rock does under heat and pressure is really just as impressive, but it's, it's slightly more destructive. You apply pressure and heat to most rock, and it melts into a liquid called magma, right? And then you put that magma under enough stress and heat and pressure, and it blows through the crust of the earth in the form of lava. Look at geniuses out here, right? Lava, which brings us back to people. <laughs> Some of us, under certain types of pressure, when the pressure is on, what results is this, this version of ourselves. It's at our most creative. It's our most beautiful. We just blossom, right? And we produce diamonds. But I find, if you, I don't know if you're like me, I'm kind of a weird creature because sometimes I thrive under pressure, especially the, the challenge of a situation. But other times especially if that challenge comes not so much from a situation, but from a person, I, I don't respond with creativity. I respond with irritation, resentment, 
something wants to blow, right? The good ideas, all those great creative ideas, they just shut right down. Um, and I don't shine, I explode. So who are you under pressure? Who are you under pressure this morning? Who are you when you're challenged? When things start to turn south, your, plan, your plans get derailed, the, the great plan that you had. We could ask it this way, who is the real you that emerges in that pressure cooker of the foxhole? Who's the real you that comes up? Now today, in our story about David, we're at a strange point in his life. We've kind of, we're gonna skip ahead uh, a, a few years now. In our series, we'll kind of go back and forth. We're not necessarily going chronological. We'll kind of move around in his life, sort of Pulp Fiction style. But, so we're gonna skip ahead now to a strange time of his life. After he's anointed by Saul to be king, he goes on to do some pretty cool things. Uh, David, he becomes this young teenage military hero by killing a giant named Goliath, which we're actually going to talk about in a few weeks when all of our kids are with us. That's going to be fun. Um, he wins a bunch of battles, kind of becomes the hero of the nation. Uh, he marries the king's pretty daughter. That's pretty cool. He becomes the king's personal musician in the court there. He gets to be BFFs with the king's own son, Prince Jonathan, and they become very close. And somehow, Everything's just coming together. He's like really well connected all of a sudden. He's on this fast track, and this fast track to success suddenly leads him to the desert. The desert, hiding out for his life. Right? What? How did that happen? Such a turn of events. It, 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 because it turns out the king actually becomes really jealous of David and wants to kill him. Um, in 1 Samuel 22, it says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam, and those, all those who were in distress and in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So who, who's the like A-list crowd that he's hanging with now? Those in distress, in debt, and discontented. Sweet. In Samuel 23, at another point, it says, David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Sif, Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. So while at one point David's thinking, man, I, I must have the golden touch, right? God loves me, right? He must be pretty, pretty high on me because nothing's going to stop me now, right? I believe I can fly. Now he's on, suddenly he finds himself on the run. He's on the run with this sort of motley band of misfits and outlaws and who've joined him. He's in the wilderness, totally sidetracked, it would seem, sidetracked from this trajectory that his story had been headed. But in one sense, David, yes, he's in, he's in the wilderness because Saul is chasing him. But I also believe, we're going to look at today, that he's in the wilderness because God wants to do something in David. God wants to do something. There's an intentionality going on here. And the wilderness or the foxhole or the desert or whatever you want to call it is, is kind of a tricky place to find yourself in our life. Um, but we often find in Scripture this, this pattern, uh, this amazing pattern of hero after hero in the Bible finding themselves in just such a place, a place of testing, a place where your resources are dried up, right? There's no money in the bank. There's no extra. Um, you're, you're left saying, who am I? And was it, what is it I'm here for, you know? You're left answering these questions. Whom will you serve? That's the kind of questions you get confronted with 
in that time? Where is your trust? And I think we as Christians, um, especially today here in kind of, you know, modern Western America, our Christianity is such, we have to be careful not to get to the place where our greatest goal every day is just avoiding the place of testing at any cost. Because um, as I've said before, I think that's worshiping the idol of comfort and security, if that's our goal. That's cultural pop spirituality. You know, it's not authentic spirituality. It's pseudo-spirituality that glorifies, you know, self-actualization as sort of the highest goal in life. It's a cultural gospel, but it has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus. Jesus, who went through the wilderness and succeeded. And that's why he gets to be our savior today, because he did that. The truth is, the wilderness is often a part of the spiritual experience of a believer. David didn't avoid it. Jesus himself, he didn't seek to avoid it. So probably neither should we. And it's in that lonely place where God begins to ask David questions. Like, David, are you going to take matters into your own hands and go take what's rightfully yours, kill Saul, become king? Or will you pray? Will you spend time with me? Will you give me all of your anger and your trust and, and trust me so I can grow and form you here in this wilderness? That's the test for David. On two different occasions in David's life, uh, he had this opportunity to, to really strike out against his enemy, Saul, with his sword. Once David, uh, Saul, or I'm sorry, David and his men, they're hiding in a cave. You probably know this story. And Saul unwittingly goes to the restroom in this cave because he thinks he's going to have some privacy. But David and his men are hiding in there. And instead of killing Saul where he stood, David spared his life. On another occasion, Saul and his men, they're in hot pursuit. And one evening they, fall, they go to sleep uh, in this valley. And David takes two of his men and they crawl through the sleeping camp of Saul and his men, and they steal Saul's spear and his water jug from beside him. And then David does something really cool. He goes up to the little hill above the valley and starts screaming at him to wake them all up, right? And he's holding up this spear, and he says, hey, guys, y'all should take better care of your king, right? He's kind of having a little fun with him, which you can't, can't blame him for that. He goes, hey, I could have killed him. Here's his spear. And you know, and in that moment, Saul realizes, oh, he has a moment where he's sort of uh, apologetic for coming after him, but he doesn't learn his lesson. He doesn't learn anything. Um, and, and you got to be thinking, too, in that moment, if you're Saul's bodyguard, you got to be wishing you went into another line of work, probably at that moment. He's not going to get a raise the next morning, right? Um, but in the foxholes of David's life, God's developing his character. That's what God's up to. And David isn't just somebody who, you know, who reaches out to God when something bad happens. What we see in the Psalms is evidence that David has a really healthy prayer life going on all the time. And God uses the foxholes as another context for developing David and developing his prayer life even further. These become part of the context that God uses to develop him. And what I discovered from David is that prayer, and this goes for you and me, prayer is a way more powerful weapon than a sword or a gun or any tactic that the enemy has to come against you. 
Prayer is more powerful. Prayer is the most powerful weapon you have. And nine times out of 10, here's the thing, the catch 22 to it, is nine times out of 10, you're gonna learn the greatest lessons about prayer, not from a book, even if it's a really good book, and there's some good prayer books out there. You're not gonna learn the greatest lessons even from a really great sermon like this is, right? You're gonna learn by enduring the wilderness experience. You're gonna learn by fighting from the foxhole. That's where you're gonna learn to pray. You learn to wield the weapon of prayer most when Satan is wielding his weapons against you. And, and none of us pray the way we pray like we do when we're in trouble. None of us do, right? We make lists. I mean, we study them. We have, a, we have like a system, you know, if you're like me. You get in trouble, you pray differently. You pray a little more constantly. You, you cry out. You're more humble and needy for help before God. Why is that? I, I think it's because in a foxhole, you pay attention, right? Your senses are keen. Am I right? When you're in those situations, they're acute, they're alive, and you're paying attention, you're asking questions like, what's going on in my life right now? And you ask those questions when you're in trouble in a way that you don't really ask when everything's cool, right? When everything's going fine, people are like, hey, what's going on in your life? You're like, I don't know. Going to the movies later. Should be fun, right? But when the doctor diagnoses you with those big scary words it's like what's going on in your life you're like I'll tell you what's going on in my life I'm freaking in trouble and the walls are closing in right I notice I sit around my house all the time I don't think about my AC one time but that thing goes out in August let me tell you I'm calling my friend Ken who's the AC expert I'm going dude my house is melting like the white hot heat of a thousand suns you got to get over here we get really focused in trouble the other part of the foxhole is as our senses grow, we, we try desperately to locate God. We want to know where God is. God, where are you? Where did you go? And God powerfully works through, I'll call it his hiddenness sometimes. Even in those moments where he seems hidden and the scriptures, the psalmists talk about those moments. God is working in those moments too. Those aren't moments where he's forgotten about you. He's forming you. And in the foxhole, those lonely places, that wilderness, you're listening, you pay attention, you feel the wind blow, you hear every little rock being kicked around, right? You're, you're there. David has hours and hours and days and days upon days when he's just sitting in these places where he's thinking back on the trajectory of his life so far, you know, where he thought the, the, where his life was going and now he's being chased like an outlaw. But in that foxhole, one of the things that we learn, and this is so key, and this is good for every single one of us, uh, teenagers, young adults, older adults, every one of us, we need to remember this, that the moment is not forever. What is happening today? My situation today may blow, but it is not forever. It is not the end of the world. Tomorrow will be different. God's tomorrows are always different when he's writing our story. And what I need to do is just start to trust God. Not just ask God, you know, where are you? But we start asking, God, what is it, what is it you're doing here? Help me, 
Give me eyes to see what you're up to. Oh my gosh, that, that does amazing things to your prayer life when you start asking him, what are you up to in this, Lord? Because I know you're at work here. I know you're at work. I trust you. Where we used to ask, God, what are you doing in me and for me? Which is kind of the religion of me and God, right? It's all about me and God. What are you doing for me, God? What are you doing in me, God? Where are we going? Now we start asking, God, what are you doing in the world for you? And, and what can you do through me? How can I be used in that? Not just what are you doing for me, but what, do you, what can you do through me? We start to trust that that occasional hiddenness of God, it doesn't mean that he's not active and present. God, he's forming us. He's breaking some things over here, you know, some things over there. But the whole point is that God is at work. I'm telling you this morning, God is at work. And we learn so much in these times. If we're paying attention, we just got to pay attention. Every prayer, every victory, every time we trust, every time we cry out, when we're honest, those become steps forward in growth. And every time we shrink back and we avoid and we accuse God for not doing what we wanted him to, those are times we regress. We become less of what God is trying to form us into. We become more full of pride, more full of self. I believe that a mark of a truly maturing Christian is that when you find yourself in the foxhole, before you instantly make your focus, which we all want to do, the first thing we want to do is make our focus on, on doing anything we can to get out of that foxhole, to get out or avoid it. Before we do that, humble yourself and submit yourself to whatever it is God's trying to teach you. And what is so often God trying to teach us? So often, it's to pray. So often, that is what God is trying to teach us how to pray. When David prays, his prayers aren't always pretty. You know, we think of the 23rd Psalm, that's beautiful. But there are other Psalms, they're, they're jagged. They're rough to read. They're not always, you know, glorious. They're not always pious and real religious sounding. But when David prays, they do usually seem to have three common aspects I want to look at this morning. Common aspects that we can look at. The first one, David's prayers, are God-centered. If you have your Bible, you can look at Psalm 18. In Psalm 18, this is a psalm where, again, he's been delivered from Saul. He's on the run, but he's been delivered from Saul. And these are known as the desert psalms. There's about five or, there's five or six of them. I encourage you to go and read these and learn how to pray with David's raw, rugged, authentic spirituality when you find yourself in that uh, foxhole. But in Psalm 18, in verse 1, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. Look at the language that he's using. Look at this. When, we, when he talks about rock, and stronghold and fortress. That's the language of the wilderness. That's wilderness language, isn't it? Right? David's saying, God's my rock. He's my cave. He's where I go to hide. Why is he saying that? Because he's in a cave. Right? He sees God there with him. 
He's my fortress. He protects me from being attacked when people want to kill me. He's using wilderness language here. God is ultimately my resource. And David realizes he's completely outnumbered. He's being chased by thousands of men. He's running around with a few hundred guys with, you know, bad attitudes, bad reputations, you know, with like names like Jeb and Rufus, guys like this, you know. My apologies if your name is Jeb or Rufus. <laughs> but David's response in this moment is, my resources are depleted, but God, you are my resource. You are my resource. You are my security. You are my salvation. David's prayers are God-centered. God-centered. He, God is the subject of his prayer. Notice David's not the subject of this prayer. God is the subject. And, and this is the first thing we need to learn about praying from the foxhole. It's not really about us. It's still about God. It's always about God. He's in the center. When we go through these times in our life, and we are going to go through them, all of us will, the question is this, will you learn to pray and make God the focus of your prayers, or will you take things into your own hands, try to avoid and escape, and worry about, you know, how you're going to find the quickest way out of the foxhole and never ever get there again? The Apostle Paul said, if God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for me, no matter the odds, the statistics, the economy, the doctor's report, the former friends, you know, who don't really believe you have what it takes. If God is for me, who can be against me? He's at the center of it all. He's not Santa Claus. God is not the big jolly creature that we somehow learn to manipulate into giving us what we want. God is God. He's the subject. He's on the throne. And he's writing your story. He's writing your story. So our lives should be these living testimonies of who he is. Amen? Okay, number two. Second thing about these prayers is they're brutally honest. David is honest. Uh, we find out in the Psalms, God's got big shoulders. Right? Prayers that say, why, God, is this happening? Where did you go? God, I'm mad. I'm full of anger. I can't stand these people. I hate the situation. God can take all of it, we find out. He's not offended by your humanity. What's great about David is that he wrote at least half of the, the Psalms. And so he writes stuff, and you some of it you think, man, that's not okay to say, is it? Right? But apparently God's like, I actually like the way he said that. I'm going to make that scripture. Right? I mean, none of your prayers are in the Bible. None of my prayers are in the Bible. His, his are, so they must be pretty cool. Let's look at Psalm 52. There's, here's a place where David's getting, he's getting really real with God in his prayers after another run-in with Saul. But notice, here again, rather than just get so angry over that situation that happened with that person at work or that neighbor of yours or your family member or whoever it is or your Saul in your life, David doesn't just go down, chase him down, and cut his head off. He takes his anger and brutal honesty to God in prayer. That's his default reaction. Verse 1, he says, why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? Your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor, you who practice deceit. 
Verse 3, he says, you love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He'll snatch you up and tear you from your house. He'll uproot you from the land of the living. Wow. David prays this, and God goes, oh, that's good. We're putting that in the Bible. <laughs> right? Now, most of us, if we had prayed that, we'd feel a little guilty right off the bat. We'd be like, I'm sorry, that was a little strong. I'm having some issues right here. That whole rip you out of your house and remove you from the land of the living. I meant that in love. <laughs> right? That came out wrong. No, why does God like this prayer? Because God isn't trying to make David less of a warrior. God is not going around, men, he's not going around trying to make an army of nice guys. That's not God's highest goal. He's not looking for a bunch of nice people. He's looking for passionate people, right? He doesn't give us feelings that he expects us to ignore when they get hurt. Now, do you go lash out at people? No. Take it to God. He's got big shoulders. He's got the big shoulders. This is a human prayer. David, he wants vengeance, you know. He wants injustice has occurred here. He's taken his complaint to the highest court in the land, Father God, knowing that it's only God that should exact vengeance. He says, God, I'm going to embrace this experience I'm in. I'm, in. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to bear my guts to you, and I'm going to tell you what I'd like to see happen to that dude, but I'm going to leave that with you, right? And God would say, I like your honesty, David. Let's put that in the word. And it's not just for shock value, right? It's not like we go, hey, where do you see the psalm I wrote, right? There's, I, I cuss a lot, so it must mean I'm real honest. <laughs> it's not about being like edgy and controversial. What, you're, what we're talking about is, is tapping into uh, the fact that you are, new, you are human, okay? Newsflash, nobody here is see-through, right? You're not an archangel. You were created to focus every ounce of your humanity into worship of the creator. That's what God made you. Otherwise, he would have just made you an angel. But he made you a human. And he wants you to worship him with all of your humanity. Worship him, right? Tap into your emotions, your heart, your pain, your desperation for God. Here's, here's something I really believe. If you never express desperation to God, if you're never one to express desperation to God, I think it probably means you're living in denial of your desperate need for God. We all desperately need God. And if you're not expressing that to God, you're, you might be living in denial. So be honest. I mean, God knows it all anyway, right? You, you can't fool him. Okay, last one. Let's see, last one. Here we go. Number three, the third part of his prayers is they are visionary. What I mean by that is, in other words, they, David, he's always envisioning the end of the process that God is forming him into. His prayers look to the future. He uses his imagination to say, God, what is it going to look like when we're victorious? What's the finished product? What are you doing through me? He's, he's running for his life. That's the present reality. And so he prays honest prayers, yes, but he can also pray these triumphant prayers of vision. 
even in these moments. Some of his most triumphant psalms are written when he's hiding in the cave because he knows an important fact, that God is the author and the finisher of his faith. God is the one. God can be trusted to finish what he started. He just had that basic trust in God. He's going to finish what he started. He, fin he started something in me. I know God's going to finish it. He knows that no matter what's happening around him, God's will is the most important thing and that God's will is going to get done. And, and we can rest in that. See, no matter what's attacking you, it, or maybe it's not, for, maybe for some of you, it's not so much like an attack. Maybe for some of you, it just feels like everything is stalled. Like you're at a time in your life where you're just spinning your wheels, like you're, you're in some kind of holding pattern. And it's just driving you nuts. I understand. Know this, that God is forever at work forming you into the image of Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. And that, apparently to him, is infinitely more important for you than just keeping up the appearances of success. God's a lot more concerned with what's happening inside you than what's happening around you and on you know, the, the, the appearances around you, your circumstances. So get a vision for what God is up to and let that vision help to sculpt your prayers to God. Amen? And that is how you pray in the foxhole. Because every single one of you are going to go through the foxhole. We're all going to be there. And you'll, you're either going to learn how to pray and become more like Jesus, or you're going to flounder and regress and live these lives of quiet desperation and frustration, wandering around, becoming more full of yourself, wondering like I did once, if anything has meaning at all, is there any point? And you start blaming God for everything. You start blaming him for seeming like he's hiding. When all the while, what we need to do is learn to pray and surrender to God in the foxhole. I'm gonna leave you with this. Authentic spirituality which is what we're talking about in this series. Authentic spirituality is this. It's living with the awareness that God is writing your story and that we respond to him. Okay, did you get that? Real spirituality isn't figuring out the magic formula for manipulating God into doing what we want him to do. It's learning to respond to what he's doing in our life. Did you catch the difference between those things? And I'm telling you, if you latch onto that truth right there, you're gonna be way ahead of the game. Graduates, you're gonna be so far ahead. You're gonna be ahead. You're gonna save yourself a lifetime of frustration and unhappiness. I promise you. And the beautiful promise to all of this, guys, is this. He is gonna form us into the image of Christ. What could be better than that? That is what he's, that's what he's trying to do every single minute of every day of your life. He's trying to form you into the image of Christ. Nothing is better than that. A life without trouble, it's not gonna happen. That's not really what we're after though, right? We're after a life of meaning, a life of transformation, a life of resurrection. That happens when we humble ourselves, when we surrender to the lessons that, that we learn in those seasons under pressure. We learn to trust God and pray. Pray big God prayers, right? Pray prayers that are really honest, that are full of imagination, prayers that define what my future is gonna look like when, when Christ has his way in my life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father God, we love you so much. 
We praise you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy, Lord. We thank you that you somehow love us and you see us and you care about us enough to, to actively be forming us into the image of your son every day of our lives. We thank you, Lord. And we come to you, Father God, and we may come to you and we may come to you with a mess on our hands, but Father God, we thank you that you take that, you take the stuff of our life and that's the context that you, you work with and that you form us into something beautiful. You form us into a diamond, Father God, that shines for you, Father. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen, amen. I'm gonna ask our